Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Apple held their annual WWDC event this week, and they made several announcements, including the brand new MacBook Air, which seems to be the thing that most people are excited about which they say is an all-new, strikingly thin design, and it's using the next-generation M2 chip. It features a beautiful liquid retina display, 1080p FaceTime HD camera, four-speaker sound system, and claims up to 18 hours of battery life. So that 1080p web camera, I think that's been a joke amongst people. Uh, Apple enthusiasts and those who are not Apple enthusiasts around just how poor the web cameras are on previous MacBooks and the MacBook Air. And the MacBook Pro has only just got a decent camera in the recent models. So now that's coming to the MacBook Air. And I can understand why the MacBook Air being the more affordable is potentially the most popular of the MacBooks. And the fact it's got the M2 chip makes this one obviously going to be the the best of the MacBook Airs. iOS 16 was also unveiled and with it you can personalize your lock screen with photos, uh, customize widgets, uh, and even the way that you get notifications can be customized now. You can also create a shared photo library to share photos and videos with your family. Uh, You can enhance everyday moments with powerful new features in messages and mail. Uh, including, it looks like, the ability to uh, real-time delete or unsend messages and edit those, uh, as well as schedule uh, email, which I was surprised that wasn't already a feature in there. I do use Apple devices, but I don't use the built-in mail app because (laughs) I tried to use it and I thought it was pretty terrible. And I guess it was pretty terrible if you couldn't do very basic email features until now. MacOS Ventura was also unveiled. It has a new task manager, um, not the same as a Windows task manager, but for actually managing the tasks that you're performing, um, like application-wise on the operating system. Uh, It's this feature called Stage Manager, so hopefully we'll be able to boost productivity and help you to manage multiple things that you're doing. Uh, You will also easily be able to hand off a FaceTime call from one device to another now. Uh, There's also a continuity camera that allows you to seamlessly make your iPhone a web camera for your Mac, which is actually pretty cool because sometimes I take a call on my phone and then I need to go up to my office to do something. So being able to kind of switch possibly to using my MacBook and keep my phone as my camera so there's no disruption would be kind of cool. 
And I already mentioned the new mail features earlier in regards to iOS 16, but those will be coming to the new Mac OS 2, uh, as well as the messages features. And actually a theme in a lot of the announcements are some of the more minor announcements. It seems like some of the apps that are popular on iOS today are going to be brought to Mac OS. Uh, so it seems like they're kind of iteratively moving towards more feature parity between their different operating systems. And kind of in that vein, that iPad OS 16 was unveiled, and that's also going to get that stage manager feature that's gonna be available in Mac OS Ventura. Uh, you'll be able to connect to an external display and drag and drop files between devices. So if you've got uh, different iPads you wanna work with, uh, you'll be able to explore full maps and rich details in the new weather app for the iPad as well. For watchOS 9, the workout app is getting several new features and enhancements. They say it's going to be featuring more, containing more features than ever. You'll be able to track your medication in a new medications app, get more insights into your sleep and heart health, and enjoy more watch faces with more personalization. And I saw some on social media claiming that Apple in future are going to be looking to make their iOS more similar in presentation to the watch OS. So I guess we'll have to watch this space. No pun intended. And for the MacBook, the MacBook Pro 13 inch will become available with the M2 chip. So currently I think the MacBook Pros all come with the M1 chip and the MacBook Pro 13 inch at least will be coming with the M2 chip. They also said that this MacBook will have a studio quality mic, which I don't know if the current MacBooks also make that claim. Um, from what I've experienced, the mic isn't really that good on the current MacBooks. The one I've got with the M1, which is the one that was only just released last year, I don't think the mic's that good. So maybe that's an improvement too, I'm not sure. But if you wanna check out all of the announcements for yourself, I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 233, and you'll find those at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. Also Apple-related, but something that is not really a surprise if you've been paying attention to the news over the years, the EU has finally agreed to make USB-C a standard for devices' chargers. This should ensure people can use the same cables across many devices from any manufacturer, thus cutting down on electronic waste in future. Apple had been resisting these attempts for many years, but, as I covered on the podcast earlier this year, Apple have actually been testing USB-C chargers for some time. They obviously knew this was inevitable, so I suspect by the autumn 2024 deadline that the EU is going to set, that new Apple devices will be USB-C compatible, so no more lightning ports. Now, not everyone is thrilled about this. I saw some in phone repair shops have claimed that the lightning port breaks less often than USB-C ports, and it's a lot harder to clean the USB-C ports than it is to clean the lightning port. And sometimes when people try to clean dust out of their USB-C ports, they end up breaking them, which I'm sure is probably fair. I don't have that much experience trying to clean and fix these ports, but obviously USB-C is not owned by Apple, so it makes more sense to move to that as a standard versus the lightning port, which I'm sure Apple would charge other manufacturers to leverage. 
Uh, Bloomberg.com reports that it has taken them so long to get this over the line that wireless charging is becoming a bigger trend now. So they're already kind of behind and they have signaled their intent to start working on standardizing the tech used for wireless charging too. So hopefully it doesn't take the guts of a decade to get that because it does seem almost pointless if the technology is moving faster than they can actually litigate for. My assumption here is obviously they'll continue to sell the existing cables for people who have the older devices. It will just be a case of when newer devices are coming out that they might be USB-C. So I don't think anyone really needs to panic about it. And hey, if it does cut down on waste, which I think it should, this can only be a positive for the planet at least. The Windows 11 version 22H2 preview is now available for commercial organizations if they would like to validate prior to its release later this year. Organizations enrolled in the Windows Insider program for business can access the builds through all standard channels, including Windows Updates, Window Update for Business, Windows Server Update Services, or WSUS, Windows Insider Preview Downloads page, and the Azure Marketplace. So I may be wrong here as I found it hard to find build notes for this build preview, but it doesn't look like there are many significant changes in this build, though there are several fixes. Microsoft have announced that Microsoft Endpoint Manager now includes the ability to configure settings related to the universal print management. This allows organizations to choose which universal print devices are available on the end user's device to ensure they are using the correct set of printers. This provides end users with full control over the printers being managed, which creates a consistent experience. Many organizations are moving printer infrastructure to the cloud and universal print, which is Microsoft 365's cloud-based printing solution, was designed to help with this transition, removing the dependency for on-premises infrastructure. It's compatible with legacy printers. It creates a rich experience with universal print-ready printers, as well as natively supports cloud printers to manage an organization's printer fleet. So if you're still using the on-prem print servers, well, you don't have to fear this too much because your current legacy printers should be supported with this new method too. The Felina Zero Day that I covered on last week's episode of the podcast is said to be under active exploitation for attacks targeting government entities in Europe and the US currently, according to Hacker News. Enterprise security firm Proofpoint said it blocked attempts at exploiting the remote code execution flaw, which is being tracked as CVE-2022-30190 and has a severity score of 7.8 out of 10. No less than 1,000 phishing messages containing a lure document were sent to the targets. If you'd like more detail on this vulnerability, check out that CVE that I mentioned, or just go back to last week's episode of the podcast because I did cover it in more detail on some of the ins and outs of how it's being leveraged and essentially being used to execute PowerShell scripts that could do whatever the heck the attackers want, really. Um, but I also recommend you check out Rudy Um's blog post on how he is protecting his systems against these types of attacks. So if you want to protect yourself against actual ongoing attacks in the wild, definitely check out Rudy's blog post. 
And sticking with security for the next couple of stories, but the Hacker News reports that Microsoft's Digital Crimes Unit last week disclosed that it had taken legal proceedings against an Iranian threat actor dubbed Borium in connection with a spear phishing operation. It said they have been targeting entities in tech, transportation, government, and education sectors located in the U.S., Middle East, and India. The actors create fake social media profiles, often posing as recruiters. And once personal information has been obtained from the victims, Borium sent malicious emails with links that ultimately infected their target's computers with malware. To halt the malicious activities, Microsoft said it took down 41.com.info.live.me.net.org and .xyz domains that were used as command and control infrastructure to facilitate the spear phishing campaign. The disclosure comes as Microsoft revealed that it identified and disabled malicious OneDrive activity perpetrated by a previously undocumented threat actor codenamed Polenium since February 2022. Uh, the incidents in that case involved the use of OneDrive as command and control for carrying out attacks, and they were part of a larger wave of attacks the hacking group launched against over 20 organizations based in Israel and Lebanon. So once again, with these, these attacks, the common weak link is people. <laughs> so uh, training and good security training for all employees uh, is really the best defense in this case, I guess, in a way. Although you can provide training until the cows come home and it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of difference. At least that's been my experience because these things still happen, they get through. Better to have the training than not though. So just one more security story here and this one's a short one. Uh, but I saw on Twitter that there's a LAPS toolkit which you can use to audit and attack LAPS environments. Uh, <laughs> the worrying aspect here, like yeah, auditing it sounds like a great idea. You should audit such a critical security piece of infrastructure in your environment. Uh, but the fact that this could also be used for attacking <laughs> is not good, which it's it's that age old problem, I guess, you know, that there's these tools that allow you to validate and ensure your infrastructure is secure, but they could also be leveraged by attackers. So it's kind of a catch 22 in this instance. And I'll share a link to that if you'd like to check it out for yourself. Please don't use it for attacking others. <laughs> if you want to use it for validating your own lapse environment, it should be pretty good for that. Redmondmag.com has reported that the next Exchange Server product is planned for release in the second half of 2025, so it's still a ways away. The next Exchange Server will be offered via subscription only, which had been rumored for some time anyway, and it will follow Microsoft's modern lifecycle policy. Now, as reported under this policy, Microsoft only has to give organizations 30 days advance notice when customers are required to take action to avoid a significant product degradation. And Microsoft just gives 12 months advance notice when it plans to end support of a product. Now, Microsoft did say that they plan to support the next version of Exchange Server beyond October 14, 2025. And the next Exchange Server will have stiff licensing requirements. It's going to require server and CAL, which is client access license licenses, and will be accessible only to customers with software assurance, 
similar to SharePoint Server and Project Server subscription additions. They have vowed to make upgrades to the next generation easy for customers. I covered the announcement of Windows Auto Patch back on episode 225 of the podcast. Well, the Auto Patch public preview is now available and the announcement contains instructions and even a video on the product. If you already heard me cover this on episode 225, you could probably skip forward a minute or so to get to the next story. But for those who haven't listened to that episode and don't know what Auto Patch is about, well, Microsoft claim Auto Patch should enable IT pros to do more for less. 365 E3 customers will be able to use the feature at no additional cost. And they say that with Auto Patch, Patch Tuesdays will just be another Tuesday and say, why not even just take the day off as the patching will be completed automatically, which I think is a stretch. Uh, it appears Auto Patch will use the Microsoft Update Cadence or Theory with separate rings, initially patching about 1% of the devices, then 9%, and finally the remaining 90%. If no issues are reported or detected by the assessment feature, the service then moves on to the next ring. You will be able to set the rings to more conservative or aggressive if you'd like. This will only be for endpoints managed by the cloud, so with Microsoft Endpoint Manager. And all you will need to do is go into MEM and check a box. So pretty simple to get going. So personally, and I saw this actually repeated by someone in comments this week, but I said at the time as well, but personally, I didn't really have problems managing the actual patching itself in environments I worked in, other than maybe for like Citrix images or Horizon desktops. Uh, and obviously with AutoPatch, that's not going to change. You're going to have to include these updates in your image updates. For me, it's always been more of a stress that patches might break something. Uh, but I also used a staggered patch deployment as most do. But I guess in particular for remote endpoints, this feature could provide some extra reassurances. Um, for me, eh. <laughs> I'm not blown away by it because like I said, it wasn't really all that difficult to manage the actual patches themselves. So the assessment might be cool, but the thing is if, if you're broken uh, some machines in the initial rings, you're going to find out about it. <laughs> uh, the assessment's not really going to mean anything once you start getting the calls anyway. And this doesn't help really prevent you from breaking machines in those earlier rings. It's just going to help report on it, I guess. Now, following up on another story that I previously covered, but back in December, I covered a story about Oracle's proposed acquisition of healthcare giant Cerner. Well, Oracle has now obtained all required antitrust approvals for its proposed $28.3 billion acquisition, clearing the way for the takeover to go ahead. Oracle expects to complete its $95 per share tender offer promptly following the expiration of that offer at midnight Eastern Time on June 6th. So that has already passed, so presumably the wheels are turning to get that done. The awesome Master Packager have released version 22.2.8187. In this release, MSIX support is in beta. Hooray! Uh, there have also been some customer feature requests included and bug fixes, plus more improvements. So if you use the product, it's a good time to upgrade. And if you haven't checked out Master Packager before, I strongly suggest you do because it is awesome. And speaking of awesome, uh, Unify unveiled their 
new Dreamwall product, which looks really cool, and it sounds like it's a really good idea too. So they're attempting pretty ambitiously to revolutionize the data center. This is by changing the form factors of appliances being used, which will mean no more bulky racks required for all the equipment in your data center. The Dreamwall measures just 61 millimeters in depth, and you can obviously, as the name suggests, just attach it to a wall. And the fact that it could just be attached to walls means it's installed seamlessly in any environment, eliminating the need for dedicated IT space. So it doesn't even really need to be in a dedicated full-on data center. They say it features a powerful security gateway, high-density power over Ethernet switching, RAID local storage, integrated Wi-Fi, advanced power backup, and it is capable of powering an entire organization's IT needs, including networking, door access, camera security, telephony, and the Unify applications of the future. The wall is now available, but only for early access customers. And it looks like the cost is about 900 euros per appliance, but those details are a little lacking right now. It looks like a lot of the information may be behind that early access login, which obviously I don't have. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, Option Key Blog had a nice short one on how to find the Windows product key using PowerShell. Quick one, but a good one nonetheless. The awesome Tim Mangan has launched app-info for packagers. So it's pretty cool. Like it's a GitHub repository and there's several applications already listed in the repository. And it shows information like, you know, is the application fully functioning when packaged and delivered with, say, MSIX or AppV or Numescent Cloud Paging or VMware ThinApp and so on, uh, including app layering products too, by the way. So this could take some of the guesswork out for packagers. And also, it's just a really great central location for all of us application packagers to share this type of information and possibly some tips and instructions for successfully packaging these applications. Like for example, I saw that the SQL Management Studio application is in the list and the guide for successfully deploying that with MSIX has been included in the information. Kevin Evans on Twitter shared several very useful resources for Bicep, which seems to be very hot right now, stealing uh, terminology there from Zoolander. Um, But he's provided some Bicep learning resources uh, Biceps and Microsoft Learn Path, Bicep Community Calls, Biceps GitHub Repository, and more. So if you're into automation, you're using Azure, Bicep seems like an obvious one to learn, and there's some great resources out there, and I'll share those with this episode for you to check out. So Pyrotech3 on Twitter had a very short and concise but very timely tip for security. Review installed software in your domain controllers. Domain controllers don't need things like Chrome and Firefox installed. Doesn't need many agents. Don't Doesn't need to have SQL and various different Windows features enabled on them. Uh, keep things pretty simple on those domain controllers. Domain controllers should only be Active Directory servers, and that's it. Anything else adds attack surface and risk. Thanks to the awesome guy Leech Anton for this next one. 
but there was an older blog post that they brought to my attention. It was posted back in 2019 by James O'Neill, which is on the classy way to complete and validate PowerShell parameters. Now, I honestly haven't put much thought into how I use parameters in my PowerShell scripts. I just kind of do it ad hoc as I need and don't put any extra consideration into it other than maybe just putting them in like a block of text at the top of the script. But this blog goes in very deep into details on just how to declare, uh, different ways of declaring, and also just validating the parameters, uh, which makes me feel like I have been half hours in my scripts <laughs> this entire time. Trevor Jones published a blog post on retrieving the current patch level of Windows 10 using PowerShell. And thanks to Trevor Ty for sharing this one on social media. Just another great example of how you can use PowerShell to get a lot of rich data and information to empower your IT. And finally, I saw that Microsoft are running a challenge where if you complete one challenge, you get to earn a free Microsoft certification exam. And there are eight different challenges available for you to choose from. And you can select one that's right for you. And the challenges include a Microsoft 365 building applications and solutions challenge, Azure Developer Challenge, IoT Developer Challenge, Azure Cosmos DB Developer Challenge, Power Platform Functional Consultant Challenge, Power Platform App Maker Challenge, Microsoft Security Who Hacks Challenge, and also Data and AI Who Hack Challenge. So if you want a free certification exam just for learning something and doing these challenges, uh, check those out. Now, obviously, the rule here is you are only entitled to one free certification exam for completing one challenge. So if you complete all eight, it's not like you're getting eight free certification exams. And the deadline for completing the challenge is June 30th. So don't waste any time. Get doing it now. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast each week, I would love if you tell other people about it. And if you could rate it on your podcast platform of choice, that helps in the search algorithms and just exposes it to more people as well. Uh, but that's it. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.